Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. And also, if you're a Patreon supporter, we give away a box of books every week to one of our Patreon supporters, and we have more bonus episodes and bits and pieces. We are going to bring back Nine Lessons and Carol's for Godless People, though it's never really been for Godless People. It's just for people who uh, are non-dogmatic or overly uh, tribal generally, Uh, just kind of lightly tribal. They like a gathering, but they don't then believe that that particular gathering has to dominate the rest of their life. Uh, So we are going to do uh, a series of Nine Lessons and Carol's uh, for Godless People and Quakers and Unitarians and all the kind people. Uh, And that is going to be at the Conway Hall in London. London on December the 16th, 19th, 20th and 22nd. And you're going to be coming along, aren't you, Josie? I'm coming along on the 20th and 22nd. And we have a lot of guests as well who have already been announced. And if you just go to the Cosmic Shambles Network, you will see who those guests are. Yes, and the specific part of the site for that is cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons, and that's nine spelt out, N-I-N-E, not the number nine lessons. And there you can get tickets for the shows and see all the guests that we've already announced, including Robin, Josie, Helen Chersky, Lucy Green, Matt Parker, Nikesh Shukla, Selena Godden, Grace Petrie, Holly McNish, uh, Bruce Hood, and lots more. So head there and you can check it all out and get tickets, and you can also find out about our new photography exhibition that's going to be opening on December 8th at Conway Hall as well so you can have a look at it uh, when you're coming to the Nine Lessons show or just go and check it out uh, apart from that it'll be there from the 8th of December until uh, the end of January you can find out about that at cosmicshambles.com slash superheroes and that is a whole lot of the uh, the women of Cosmic Shambles uh, portraying their own versions of superheroes so that includes a a lot of people I've already mentioned, Josie, Selena, Lucy, Helen, as well as uh, Katie Brand, Sophie Scott, the Trailblazers, and lots more. And on the site as well, there's accompanying films and stuff that goes with each uh, each superhero. So do check that out. And now on to today's episode. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles, and today our guest is, well, a, a, a guest who was incredibly important, I think, for many of us in changing our understanding of what Australian music was. Uh, it is Robert Forster from The Go-Betweens, who I, I think, and you may well disagree, but I, when I think of things like The Go-Betweens and The Saints and The Triffids and The Birthday Party, mm-hmm. these are the bands where I go... This has changed mm. my perception mm. of mm. this particular continent. Is mm. that fair to say, do you think? Or It is, I think, because I can remember when we first came over uh, in the early 80s, all these bands that you're talking about, there were, there were still reviews in the music press. We got a few, but it, it fell away very quickly. You know, about wombats and kangaroos, and, and it was still that sort of attitude towards Australia you know like and and so and and so it was mystifying you know to Australians you know like this sort of thing um but then it changed and I, and I think this wave of bands that you're talking about um played a big part in that cultural change where where especially in the music world 
uh, Australian music um, was appreciated in a different way. Mm. Because it was the, uh, it's interesting, when when you start, something that I found from quite a few people that I've spoken to uh, when they were growing up in the 60s and 70s in Australia is saying about how alluring the secretive, what seemed like the, the, the hard to obtain music culture from mm. both America and the mm. UK, this thing that if you were growing up in a, in particular in a rural town, but mm. even in, you know, quite big towns, mm. trying to get your hand on these elusive, mm. uh, and, and that, that immediately makes things far more uh, evocative and iconic the fact that you go into the record shop mm. and you have to wait maybe for four weeks mm. and eventually that single so that experience how did that well that's that's also very true and I think uh, Australia, Australia to me like in the music was it was like America in one ear and the UK you know in the other an island and then it was the, there was an Australian it was a mixture of of the three that the that I think most Australian bands up until the present day still do, you know, mixing these three places and um, and yeah, those it it took, but but there was that also. It's I mean, it's cut down a lot now. There there was that lag, you know, like I, I was buying records on <clears throat> certain records on import, you know, like it, you know, like the first Ramones album, the first Talking Heads album, um, and like Bowie albums, like. Station to station, I I I had American copies because I could get them quicker than if I waited for Australian release. I mean that's all changed now, but it it was, and so it it did make, you know. So when when you come to London, like you're you're in um, Wardour Street, or you know you're walking past the Marquee, or or you know where Bowie um, posed for Ziggy Stardust. You know we don't have those things in our hometown in Brisbane because no bands had made albums you know there was no infrastructure there was no rock heritage sites it was just there wasn't it was fairly bare does that make it in one way when I mean I, I should say the book is 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 Grant and I and it mm. is uh it's about your relationship with Grant McLennan it's mm. about uh, starting off really with uh you meet you talk books a lot I mean this is yeah. a, a, in in the first few chapters of the book there's a lot of talking and you talk about for instance you know reading to yeah, each yeah. other you yes, know when yes. so, so when, yeah. whether it is I can't remember now the, the there's a the playboy, playboy interview yeah. with who was it you were? Bob Dylan Bob Dylan yeah yeah, yeah. in 1978 yeah um there there was at the start of of the friendship with between Grant and I, a lot of cultural exchange, you know. I mean, now you'd call it cultural exchange. At the time, it'd just be babbling, you know, just <laughs> about um, all the things that we liked and all the things that we had in common and things that he'd introduced me to, which is mainly through film. He had a, an, an incredible uh, knowledge of cinema. And, you know, I uh, a few records that I liked that he wasn't aware of, um, and so that was very much, you know, when, when two people suddenly find each other, especially in their teens, their late teens, they, it can be very intense, especially if you're on the same wavelength or you sense that you're on a similar wavelength, which Grant and I did. And so there was a massive, when I look back at it, a massive exchange in a building was going on at the start of the friendship. We were talking with Lem Cisse, the poet, about, about this earlier on uh, today when we were recording, about those books that 
there are certain for some people points where a book just opens up an entire you mm. go here is uh, right here are new opportunities here's yeah. a new way to understand yeah. the world here's a new way to question the world yeah. do, do you were, what were the books for you that you thought this is this is changing um a big one for me was on the road by jack kerouac uh and it wasn't so much that i wanted to do the journey that he did with with neil cassidy it wasn't like i wanted to jump in a car and drive you know 10,000 miles it was the style of the book it was the first book that really you know that um that those very famous opening pages you know like um you know um the, it it Kerouac, you know the first time that i met neil you know um and and it's just that sort of describe you know my life at that time was you know down and out and i'd always dreamed of traveling and then i met him and then then you know like i went to rent his apartment and I met him for the first time, and people have been t- telling stories about him. And it was just very welcoming. You know, like normally with novels, um, and especially short stories, it seemed that the author tries to make things difficult, mm. you know, and you have to work your way and earn your way into the book. And you have to, for the first 10 or 20 pages, you don't know what's going on, and you've really got to struggle to get in, which, you know, like is a, a workable method. But but what I loved about when I read Kerouac, and I was only 18, was that it felt like he was sitting right beside me and just telling, and I just, and I never forgot that. That was like, you can just, it, it can be conversational, and 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 it doesn't have to have. It can be artful and grand, but it can reach someone really quickly and hold them. And and I I think a lot of writing is masquerade you know like there's there's a lot of the art of the writer in there um almost through insecurity thinking that's the way that it can be done so that was a big big book um more for its style as i said as opposed to me wanting to get into a car uh, and drive off um and another one was as i say in the book was was reading um richard ellman's um biography of James Joyce. I was always more, and I still am more of a non-fiction person, and I love biographies. And that was the first really great biography I read. And and it was I- instructive to the career of the go-betweens because it described an artist who started in Dublin and um, who, who Joyce himself was aware that his life was going to be a struggle. It was going to be a journey for recognition. And that it'd be involve moving to different parts of the world. It'd be poverty. It'd be hardship. And I immediately saw in that the go-betweens. I sort of knew that that this, in a way, this was going to be our story too. It, it was going to be uh, a story closer to James Joyce than the career of the Stones or or um, the Beatles or the Birds, where it's just fairly sudden. It, that it, that that we we were going to be there was going to be trials and tribulations and so I, that's something that I got from that book. But that's really interesting to have that kind of idea, or, or that kind of sense of what you are and what the world might do to you in advance. Yeah, yeah, it is. It 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 was, and um, you know, like we we were four years by then in, into the band's career, so you know, like we weren't pop stars. 
and um, it was a time when we, we were sort of, you know, careers can go in jumps and then you're stalled. And, mm. and, and we were, this was 1981, we sort of had a good start the first three years and suddenly we went into like a, a, a waiting area, like a dead pool. And um, so to read the book at that particular time probably had a little bit more resonance for me, but it was just like, you know, like we're in for the long journey mm-hmm. um, and it's not going to involve riches and um, recognition by the time we're 25 or in our late 30s. See, that's what I found weird reading the book was any band that you like, I think you very often presume are far more popular because when you say, I think, uh, at one point where you talk about European tour and the cross European tour and the fact that that was never recouped, that no. you, you got for, was it 20 years, there was no no yeah. royalties coming no. from outside of Australia. And that, no. to me, was a remarkable thing because yeah. I knew so many people who, you know, we were buying go-between yeah, and yeah. We kind of Yeah, no, no. I mean, that was... Um, I mean, that's just the the... It's a gamble, you know, like at that at that stage in the late 80s. Um, you know, to stay in the game, you know, we'd, we'd made an album at that time, 16 Lovers Lane, and it was a feeling that this could really break through. And so we had to invest and stay touring and with the hope that one of the singles off the album would, would break through and, you know... It didn't work with us. We lost, you know, thirty, forty thousand pounds that we ended up paying off. If Streets of Your Town had been a hit, then thirty or forty thousand pounds would have gone in the first royalty check. You know, like we'd have been able to just pay it off. That's the gamble. That's that's one of the things that, uh, when you're in that situation, um, you decide yes or no. And we decided yes to do it. And most bands do. You, uh, I bring up one of Josie's favourite cities. Indeed, a city where you've made a movie, Uh, which is when you first came over to the UK, Mm. you kind of get to London and, you know, it's the the rooms are tiny and boxy. (laughs) Uh, And then suddenly you find yourself, you go to Glasgow Mm. and the greatest city on the planet. Yeah. And so, hang on, what year did you first uh, go to Glasgow? 1980. Okay, so that's. That's a really exciting time for Glasgow music as well. Yeah, it was. It was. Like, we we arrived. We were invited up, you know, by the people at Postcard. And it was. We we walked in on a scene. And we'd spent the... Grant and I had spent the previous, like, four months here in London. And so we, we'd... we'd you know, it was it was a big sprawling village that we couldn't see the connections. You know, we could mm-hmm. We didn't know how people knew each other. Um, or how it all worked. So the only thing that we were doing, we were consumers. We were going to gigs. We weren't talking to anyone at the gigs. We didn't know anyone at the gigs. So, you know, like we're seeing, you know, Gang of Four and, um, you know, um, The Pretenders and The Cure and, um, you know, Scritti Politti and The Raincoats and The Cramps and The Fall, all in small venues, but we don't know anyone there. And when we got up to Glasgow, suddenly, you know, the, the city shrinks and we meet all the people from Postcard and suddenly we're in a scene and suddenly it's a lot more intimate and we feel a lot more at home. Mm. Well, you're first at the bit where basically you go, hey, come upstairs, meet Edwin Collins, knock at the bedroom yeah. door, door yeah. opens. And what was it? I can't remember. He was listening he to was, John Fogarty. Yeah, uh, yeah, Almost Saturday Night by John Fogarty. Yeah, it was that this was something that couldn't happen in London. and uh, But it happened in Glasgow, which has made, you know, Glasgow... Always, you know, it's a, I'm going there tomorrow, actually. 
um, is always a very, very special experience going to Glasgow. I love it. I do too. It's, it's my favourite. It's the best city in the world. It's it incredible. Is, it is It is one of the, the, the great cities and the great people. Yes. And in well, terms of the culture as well, like there's not more... I don't think there's another city that kind of punches that high yeah, I know. for its size in terms of like the art, the literature, the music, yeah, uh, all parts of it. Well, so like Edinburgh's interest because I was talking to Ian Rankin about this where he was saying that th- there isn't a music scene in Edinburgh so because just, there aren't music venues yeah. well, there, there are so few mu- he said whereas you know when you think of Chemical Underground in the you know the mid to late 90s and yeah. you think you know bands whether it's Mogwai or Delgado's or you know before that Vaseline's and all of these you know even the bands that never became particularly well known it turns out it is that old thing of the influence the you know the reach yeah. of the influence of the Vaseline's for instance mm. you know yeah, is, yeah. Is, is, is enormous yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's because that's what I when you because one of the things that I think of about in particular, bands like the Go-Betweens, and then when you're Rough Trade and the Smiths, and mm. and these are a lot of bands that uh, literature seems important to me. The yeah. the the books I I think of in the same way with Lloyd Cole, yeah. you know, who would perhaps most overtly throw yeah. in Norman yeah. Mailer and this kind of yeah. thing. But there was you know, you almost felt that a reading list would come out from the sleeve notes. Whereas when you mentioned Edwin Collins, I remember meeting him and his wife Grace, and she went, "Yeah, Edwin's never really had any books." So when I first met him, he only had one book, and it was called "Some British Birds," <laughs> and it was like like an author who had lost the nerve at the last minute and, and gone, "You have included the chaffinch, haven't you?" Oh no, can you not call it the complete book of British birds? You just call it "Some British Birds." Wow. But I do think you know that literature seems an important part yeah. of of the late seventies as well had a lot of autodidacts yeah i i yeah but i'd argue that they'd always been there but they'd been afraid to put it into their work you know i think there was i think people like when when people like lloyd came through and and morrissey and bono and nick cave and um pj harvey and you know like the whole run of people um i think people like that's 80s you know going to the 90s there's thousands more I I think that that people were reading just as much like like a lot of pop stars and rock stars in the sixties and seventies, but they didn't put it so much in their work because I think that they were still thinking that there wasn't a place in rock and roll perhaps for it. Um, and I think with post punk, with the opening up of of a, not so much with punk with post punk, there was an opening up of like. Uh, we don't have to sing about the highway, or you know, we don't have. You know what I mean? We don't have to <laughs> yeah. sing about the mud in the river. We don't have to sing about the crossroads. We don't have to sing about you know making love all night long. We don't have to do that. You know, like it can still be in there, but it opened up, and and I just don't think that happened so much before. But I still think people were reading. You know? mm. But you, but it wasn't you. It wasn't. I mean, you know that thing that going from the mud on the highway and you know uh, mm. the sexual shenanigans to yeah. being sexless in a graveyard, talking about yeah. Keats and Yeats, yeah. is you know quite a a, a change. And, yeah. and I'm not sure now if in the last ten years whether we see so much of that again, which no, is you know those, those you. photo shoots that you used to see where you would see people draped over you know copies of books by Elizabeth yeah. Smart or whoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'd agree with you. I think I think it's probably, but I, I think that's that could have something to do with the style of music as well, because I think that the thing with if 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 the music that you're doing is quite um, lyric based, 
then you'll find that the the music generally has to be quite melodic and quite and quite um for their room to be a a a, a um room to sing something where well, I think now perhaps um things are a lot more uh, obviously a more electronic and 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 I know this is getting um theoretical but and technical but I think the the lines people are singing that the amount of room they have is shorter i think i think everything everything's a lot more cut up mm. um and um that there isn't the room you know like this like if you think of a smith song or the songs that lloyd wrote you, you know um there's a lot of room there you know like in in those songs um and i don't think there's I think this is just one reason. You know, the internet and everything, that sort of attention span thing that you've got to sort of put almost bullet points into songs now um, leaves out a certain amount of, um, you know, poetics or narratives or craft. See, that's what I love, though. I love that bit where when you, a band, are saying, this isn't just a song. Yeah. Here is... Uh, it, it almost the poetry. Yeah, like the band, I don't know if you know, Savages. And, oh yeah, I know uh, them. Yeah. And Savages, I love the fact that they've brought back the manifesto. They love yeah. artist manifestos. So they went, yeah, yeah. let's not do press releases. Let's yeah. do manifestos. I know. And, and, and if so you're talking about space, they've got some good ten-minute songs going on. They've got yeah. some good kind of yeah, bedding yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. And um, no, but I, but see that. I mean, a band like Savages comes from the time that I was just talking about. You know, like they, a lot of their influences are post-punk. Mm. And this exactly falls you can in. Feel that. I've yeah. never put the two and two together, which is yeah. so dense. But of yeah. course, it's like Gang of Four. There's so much in like yeah. the, the drums and the exactly. Yeah, and 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 so then there, if it's post-punk, then you know, like everything's on lyrically. You know, like the, it's very open field, and so you know, manifestos can creep in. You know, mm. there was Who a are lot. Your favorite lyricists. Oh gee, oh yeah. Sorry, know, that's such a no, no, question. no, no, no. I, I mean, I very much like. Um, I mean, I really like, you know, for complex people, I, I like, you know, like Bob Dylan. Um, Non-complex people, you know, I like John Fogerty. Yeah, and then when it comes to poetry, do you read much poetry and do you enjoy it? I yeah, I try to. I try to read more. I tend to read more, the classics. Um, when I say the classics, something in the 20th century, 19th century, I don't have the brain for anything for the 17th century. You don't have to read with a glossary. <laughs> yeah, no, it's too no, tiring. No, I know. I find it too hard. Um, and so I like I like stuff that's fairly immediate. Um, you know, like I can remember, you know, when, when I read, I mean, talking about Jack Kerouac before, um, you know, just the immediacy and the breaking down of certain barriers and just throwing the reader right into the experience was was hearing um like T.S. Eliot's um you know proof rock you know the love song of, yeah. of proof rock um which was like a pop song to me it, it, it was you know like I thought poetry was you, you did need a glossary and an encyclopedia and a latin dictionary and a greek dictionary and you had to know your your greek myths to un, to decode things a lot of poetry where Eliot although there's you know, he's a very educated man. But it's, it, you know, like the, I, I read, I can remember reading that 17, 18, and, and they're just opening up my mind to what could, you know, like the, it was like a pop song. It, it was just very um, understandable and hooky and um, vibrant. What were the books when you were 
you know, as a teenager, when mm. we're talking about those things that were hard to find, those things that you go, mm. you know, because even now I know uh, uh, my sister where, where she lives in Australia. Sometimes she'd go to the bookshop. She, she go, I just can't. She lives in Tasmania, and she's oh. like the nearest bookshop. It's, it's like an airport bookshop, really, in its in its kind of variety. Uh, yep, yep, yep. And so she's like, ah, oh, I need to get hold of this. And that mm. I remember. I imagine there must have been certain books where you're just going, when will it come? When will it come? It's been ordered uh, from many miles uh, away, and that, that anticipation, that delightful uh, anticipation. I, um, I was that wasn't me that was more Grant right um, I was more um, records um, the books that I needed were, were in the library you know like I'm, I've always been a library person and um, so I just go and pick up what's there you know and uh, I, I find things I'm looking for and I find I stumble on things I think that's one of the great things about a library is that you can turn a corner or just look down a shelf and you see a book and you can walk over and take it out, you know. I love that, the quickness of that connection. So that's more the way that I operate. When you go to a, a, a bookshop, yeah, and as, as you say, you know, it's uh, a good bookshop, you know, an hour goes very quickly in a good yeah, bookshop. Yeah, you know, yeah. When you go to a the what are you are you drawn to just is it a cover thing because I quite often find you know that thing where you just go yeah. I don't know what's in that book I always yeah. remember there's one by a guy called Martin Miller called Lux the Poet and I just read the back of the back blurb and I yeah, just yeah. looked at the artwork and I thought I don't know what this that. book is and I'm not even going to open it until I buy yeah. it because yeah. I think I should have it yeah, and yeah. find out what is in there and yeah. I made the right decision Martin Miller is still a very interesting writer literally right. judging books by their cover yeah there is I think that's an entirely very yeah, often you are no. because the moment you go that book's got the same cover as the 50 other books that are on the main yeah. book table you know that that probably won't be for you because yeah. that or if it is the author has been kind of sold short by their publisher uh, sorry i, I was no, saying no, this no. Th- when we were speaking uh with lem Cisse about the uh elena ferranti uh wrote these four books about naples and they're so incredible they're like mm. the most in-depth explorations of mm. what it means to be a woman what you know everything are mm. incredible the front covers are the worst they're like Christian inspirational posters from the 80s. They're like a man and his wife from behind by the sea oh, right. in a photograph that's been yeah, no, sepiaed. And I, whoever did it, I want to be like, you do not appreciate what you have got to sell. Cause it's mm. so bad. So watch out. No, they, they had cover. They had other. I saw those covers. I read those books. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Would I you read like to four. talk about them? Um, I, they well, are Josie's thing at the moment, right? We went oh, through right. a long period of her only talking about Rebecca Solnit's, Solnit's Hope in the Very Dark. True. That was, was for the whole series. Oh. And now, if she can find out that you've read them, that's I mean, it's good for me. I can go no, and have no, a biscuit. No, no. What did you find them? Especially like uh, as a man reading them. Oh, I found that very easy. Um, I've read, you know, like I, that was. Oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean like. It no, was, no, I meant like, no, did no. you find that it taught you things about female experience or things like that? Or did well, you yeah, think? it did. It did. It did. Probably a more um, a revelation was Naples yes. and, and, and and the politics and the politics and the uh, the toughness of life. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it is. It's it's very much that, you know, that era and that time. You know, like. Italy probably is still, you know, like a, a fairly, you know, like this. Families run on traditional lines, and so the the girls are expected to do that, and the boys are expected to do that, and so that very much comes through. Yeah. Um, but I really, um, I read the the books in just one go, and my wife did too. You know, like it, it's it's soon as you st- as soon as you're into book one, you know, you got to read the whole four. Yes, and my friend described it. She said it was like eating. 
It yeah. was such a different experience yeah, to it read was. them. It was. It was. It, there, and but the, the weird things about the book. Well, I think why it's so successful in a way is that it's very plot driven. You know, you know, you know yeah. like 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 this. It's like a soap opera, and and it's yes. like th- things happening, and there's major twists and major turns yes. every couple of pages, and then I'll just sort of sit for a long time, and the, the way things do in life, you yeah. know, like not nothing's happening for months, and then suddenly three or four major events will happen over three or four pages. Can and, I just say, you know, in the fourth book, yeah. when she comes home, yeah, and she when she comes home early, yeah. That bit. Yeah. That was the biggest shock. Even I know. though I suspected it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't I'm sorry, I didn't want to spoil We're gonna have to it. keep bleeping I, out I these spoilers. Agree that it's it is like that. And I, I think and this is another book that I've talked about quite a lot uh, here, I think, which is Young Hearts Crime by Richard Jates. It has mm. that same kind of it, in that book it's about a few visual artists over their entire lives. Oh, right. And so it has this kind of episodic nature to it and it has this ebb and flow where, you know, for a couple of hundred pages or for a 10-year period, one mm. of them is really on top and the other yeah. one's really struggling. Mm. And then by the end, it's sort of like, in fact, there's a bit which is really well summed up in Ferranti where she says, I'd come to my friend because I basically wanted her to see that I was winning out of the two of us. Yeah. And then being with her made me realise that there's no winning or losing and yeah. I'm an idiot and we're mm. lucky just to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. help each other yeah, get yeah. through yeah. and it's like to be able to capture the fact that life won't fit into narratives yeah. in a way that is a really compelling narrative yes. it's yeah. like how is she doing it it's... I know look look, her ability is amazing yeah. and and uh, uh, I you know I very much I love those books I don't know where she's going to go next but I don't either and also like she doesn't have to Like, I... no 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 she can stop now but I think it's great also that she you know, re- remains uh, reclusive. Yes, I think it's absolutely genius. You know? And especially like, as a woman writer, I think women they almost don't want to accept that you could write fiction. They want to go, yeah. oh well, it's all about your sad life, you know. Yeah, and so yeah. the fact that she's like, read my work, thank yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for talking to me about that because uh, no, no, I no, no, it. she's she's incredible. That was one of the reading experiences of the last couple of years, mm. I think. And what else have you? read recently that you would really recommend that you've really loved and... um oh um well I, gee i don't know i've just read the big alan bennett one you know keep keep oh, on keeping yeah. on um i always keep an eye out for those when they they come out um and i like his diaries especially yeah. you know he always i mean that's it's just um just wonderful entertainment um i'm reading a book at the moment called um um was it Lee, myself, and I? And it's written by a guy called Wyndham Wallace. And I got it in Berlin last week. And it's about he's sort of a '90s Wyndham Wallace. It's true. And it's it's about he's like a '90s music person comes into the music scene in the late '80s, '90s. He's English, and it's a growing um, appreciation of Lee Hazelwood. You know the artist. You know the mm. songwriter. Um, and then it just develops. So they start working together. And um, it's just a real, and Lee Hazelwood is very difficult uh, person, but then at the same time very sentimental, and so it's almost like a a father son or a father grandson type thing, and so it's sort of it's it's a beautiful thing because you think it's all going to be about Lee Hazelwood, maybe as an artist, but it it very much is you you learn very much about Wyndham Wallace as well. This young man who's almost getting life lessons through Lee Hazelwood as he's dying. And um 
it's an extraordinary book. I'm really enjoying it. It's it's sort of a music book, but it's very, very bold and very unusual and very well written, almost novelistic. It's great. That's interesting because on the music book, I was uh, doing a uh, thing at the end of the road festival. Uh, oh, you were at the end of the road. Yeah, it was great. It was really, Nadine Shah was particularly good. Uh, I never Who? remember if it's Timber Tambra or Tambra Timber, but they're brilliant. <laughs> Who are you talking? Is this a is this a group? Uh, the uh, yeah, Nadine Shah, who, who was with Terry Edwards, who I don't know if you know Terry. Oh, I know Terry. Yeah, Terry was uh, uh, he he came in as the saxophonist at the last minute because I think the from what I can gather, basically the band went. I thought this was Sunday, not Saturday, and oh. so <laughs> she and and he he was amazing. And who's the who's the group? Uh, she's just called Nadine Shah, and they were really. Because uh, recently, I, I also saw PJ Harvey recently, which had Terry Edwards Yeah, in. I saw that and, show too. Oh, man. I was lucky enough to, yeah. when I saw him the other day, and uh, he said, which day did you come? I said, the Monday. He went, I think that might be the best set we've ever done. And you know that really? bit where you go, and that was PJ Harvey, <laughs> best set. It was... Uh, wow. Um, he's, he's, he's a great person, Terry. He's just every time the moment he's special? on stage. Is that who you're talking no, about? he was no, it, no. He, the Higsons was his starting point, which was yeah. Charlie Higson's band as well. <laughs> and, yeah, and then he was a gallon drunk, and he's oh, worked wow. with the Tender Sticks, yeah. oh, okay. and worked a lot with PJ Harvey. And his own stuff, his Napalm Death free jazz medley <laughs> is uh, Napalm Death are very good for yeah. free jazz. But there was one of the great things about the End of the Road Festival is also the fact that I, I know the guy, the guy who's a bookseller there. All right. He used to do a lot of the other festivals, and he kept noticing people just stopped buying books. But I trust a festival where it turns out there's still book buyers in the audience. Right. And both, he said, Green Man and End of the Road, a lot of book That's people. been my experience of it. So I suppose, do you feel like, because your life has been being a musician, you're yeah. not going to be that interested in being like, I'll read this novel about a musician. No, yeah, you're right. It, it probably, I'd go off in another direction. Yeah. Um, but it'd be good to have some books that that were good about um, musicians and what they do. To understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole world there that uh, to explore. So you mentioned that you read a lot of non-fiction. Like, what kind of things are you interested in? Oh, anything, in? anything, anything that looks good. Anything that's won a Costa Award. Ha. Um, so I've just read Young Stalin, um, which I enjoyed very much. Um, also, I, this is definitely superficial, but Young Stalin, very good looking. If you're going to Google, absolutely stunning. I'm not trying to condone him in any no, way. He, he looks surprisingly good as a young man. And, uh, he, he, well, you know, he, you know, that's one of the, the surprises of the book. You know, he was like a poet. Oh, and, and he sang, and he was a. Uh, besides killing people, he was a very sensitive man. Failed artist. Failed artist, yeah. The yeah. most dangerous people on earth. Exactly, and uh, he was one of them, and um, and so that was that was. I, I actually I learned something very interesting in that book. Um, I stay at a hotel which I've just come from actually called um, the Imperial Hotel. It's over in Russell Square, mm. and I found out in in um, Young Stalin um, that in. Um, in the early 20th century, they used to have these Soviet Bolshevik conferences that were quite famous. That you know, the the, the Bolshevik Soviet um, membership was quite small. You know, obviously Lenin's leading the party, and there's Trotsky and Gorky, and, St- and a young Stalin, and they used to, and, they, and they couldn't hold their am- annual conferences in Russia. You know, because they were banned. You know, so that that be in Finland that they had a, and these are very studied now because all the major people were there you know like in 1902 1903 and the one in, in 1906 they held they were going to hold it in Denmark and they held it in London 
And most of the delegates, I was reading this, stayed at the Imperial Hotel in Russell Square, and they're all hanging around Russell Square. Stalin, Lenin, Gorky, they're all there. They're all over in Bloomsbury. So they've been staying in your room, probably. In my hotel, in my room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I... that made me very happy. See, just one of the, the benefits of reading, you know, you you find out that you're in famous footsteps. Yeah, I remember like being so shocked when I found out that Marx and Engels wrote in a room above a pub where there was such an inconsequential new material stand-up gig. So we're all at a stand-up gig, and oh. then on the wall it said, "This is the very pub where Marx and Engels wrote together." And you're like, "This does not feel." And honouring enough of that. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't the room that had created the <laughs> importance of their work. It was yeah. very much inside them. Because, yes. yeah, that's... that's. A, do you like kind of ideas of psychogeography? I think of things like the books of Ian Sinclair, oh. where... Have you read any Ian Sinclair? No. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, really? Very what interesting. Genre? He's just written his last... Well, they, he's written some novels, but he also... Uh, it's kind of the psychogeography of London. His new book, which is just about to come out, is called The Last... I think Last London or The Last London. Oh. Uh, and... And um, and he's done books where he did one which is basically him walking around the M25, the the, the London Orbital Road. And that doesn't sound interesting to I me. I promise you it is. Okay. If you've ever heard it, do you know about the films like Robinson in Space or anything like that? Mm. They're really, that's the thing is he has this ability to walk through a street which you might have walked through many, many different times okay. and go, uh, there is nothing here. And then you start to find out you know, the different stories the involving William Blake and the I'm fact sure. that that tree over there might have been the one that Blake was sitting up at the time when yeah. the angels came to visit him. And he, and he pieces together and starts to imagine a lot of the different okay. incidents. Around. And they're very, very beautiful. But I just wonder, that thing, the psychogeography, that bit where you are in a certain environment, if it yeah. is the Imperial Hotel, yeah. and you think, I have a little bit of a sense of style in today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes. See, I like rather the whole environment. So you're walking down a street and you've found out a little bit and it's begun to piece together not merely that individual, not merely, yeah. you know, William Blake or Karl Marx or, or, yeah, or in yeah. your case, um, Stalin, yeah, yeah. Um, which we will just probably cut it down to mainly you talking about Stalin and create some <laughs> kind yeah, of... Yeah, uh, it's that no. idea, it's not the same. But you're right, Stalin was very, very good looking when he was a young man. I know, but I, I feel guilty saying that because I don't think I'm being glib about the murder element. It's just, it's definitely a joke amongst people to be no, like I would say Stalin know, Josie Long best known for God. I'll tell you what say what you like about later Stalin what a smasher when he was in his <laughs> 20s that's what we know you for just a little light hearted <laughs> quip but um, it's the idea it's not even so much like the reverence of one person it's the idea that like the landscape itself when you fully appreciate every layer that's gone into it becomes like really powerful and like sacred because of all the things uh, thank you very much, yeah, Robert, for coming. Uh, Grant and I is well. The time this goes out, it will most definitely be out because it's out. Uh, it, it's a. It is in. Is it the beginning of September now? So it, yeah, it's, no, no. It's been out for uh, a week. It's um. It's it's on on the in the bookshops. And it's a it's a fantastic. It, it's oh, really beautifully written book oh, about you. the you thank know you. the creation about the relationship yeah. about that journey of of those moments ago one day we will because that's what I thought was beautiful when you say about quite early on having the expectation that it was not going to be arenas and it was not going to but that bit of now having almost written the you know the non-fiction novel so all the time when you're experiencing that you're going I'm kind of typing myself you know (laughs) and this is and there's something about 
because sometimes you can do that, can't you? In those moments of, of jeopardy in your existence as a performer or whatever you think, I just imagine this is actually that I have been created by some, you know, the malevolent author that is myself. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for doing that. it. Thank you very much to all of you who support us for our Patreon. And this week's special thanks go to Jack Broham. Is it Broham? Bro- have a look. Broham? 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 Jack Broham. Jack Broham. I think it's Jack Broham. Right, well, let's only say thank you to him over and over again. <laughs> uh, Jack Broham. Jack Broham. Jack Broham. Jack Broham. Alf Eaton, David Barham, Sarah Fletcher, or it might be Sarah Fletcher, because some people don't have an H on the Sarah, but still say Sarah, and some people say that's a Sarah. Some people say it's a Sarah, some people say it's a Sarah. This is one of the the most debatable list of thank yous, just in terms of names. Oh, absolutely. uh, And and our own uncertainty. Uh, Nikki Palmer, Martha Lee, and Polly Baggins. And that's another excellent name Polly to end Baggins. up. Polly Baggins is an excellent name. And the Box of Book winner is... Box of Book... Actually, it'll be books. It won't just be a box of a book. It'll be books. That would be disappointing, wouldn't is it? Is Samantha Davis. For all the reading lists of every guest that we've had and also for some of the kind of specials we've done as well, you just need to go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Go!